So in light of that, I'd like to open up with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning recognizing that you are sovereign, that you are holy, that you are in control of all things. And Lord, we come before you with gratitude, a thankfulness that you have opened our eyes to see that you are in control of all things and that you are sovereign over all things and that we can trust you in the midst of this trial. We pray, Lord, that as our friends and our neighbors struggle and grapple with their situation, that you will help us, Lord, to minister to them, to point them to the truth, to point them to the hope that, they, that we have in Christ Jesus and that they can have by faith in you. Please, Lord, work in us. Use us in a mighty way during this time. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. All right, so the title of the message today is, Is the Sovereign Sleeping? Is the Sovereign Sleeping? We're going to be in a a passage that's parallel to other gospel accounts. It's in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. Take your Bibles and turn over to Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. The question that we have to uh, start our, our study today is, is, do our circumstances dictate the level of our trust in the Lord? Do our circumstances dictate the level of our trust in the Lord? Let's look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening came, he, that is Jesus, said to them, let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd They took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it was perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that now as we look at it, that you will help us to understand it and for us to apply it to our hearts, that we will know who you are and how you are in control, and that we will respond appropriately, recognizing our own propensities in our hearts to fear and to be anxious. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Help us to know who you are and serve you. Help us now to understand your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark's gospel is a high-speed presentation of the Lord Jesus. It's shorter than all the other gospel accounts. It moves from one scene to the next very quickly. Matter of fact, the word immediately is used numerous times in the gospel account. Mark presents Jesus as the suffering servant. He came to serve, 
not to be served. Jesus' humanity and his deity is revealed just like in all the other gospel accounts. Mark, however, is a race through a who Jesus is glimpse and what he did. The focus of this gospel is more on his actions than his words, unlike the other gospel accounts. In Matthew, you know, we have those long sermons that we had gone through. In Mark, it's mostly about what he did. It's interestingly enough, the, the events of Jesus in the boat asleep here in this passage are detailed better, however, in Mark. Out of all the uh, gospel, the three gospel accounts, Mark spends the most time giving the most details on these events. So I wanted to focus in on this passage a little bit more. I went back and listened to my Matthew chapter 8 sermon on this passage, and it was quick. Only dealt with it for about 15 minutes. So I think it's a good thing for us to think on this passage and think about the details. Mark 4 is chronologically parallel to Matthew's account in, in Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 8. Jesus was teaching most of the day, teaching parables. And after a really long day of teaching, Jesus tells his disciples they must go together to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This was actually an area where Gentiles were. This would be strange, but this is where they were headed. There would be a man with a legion of demons on the other side that Jesus would deliver. He would cast the demons out and the pigs would run down into the Sea of Galilee and and drown, remember? But they did not know this ahead of time. The disciples did not understand this. Jesus, however, knew it. And Jesus says, we're going to the other side of the sea. They were just following their teacher as they took Jesus and put him in the boat and headed out across the large lake. Matthew's account records Jesus' exhortation to some of the fence-riding followers right before they get into the boat, where Matthew says, or where Jesus says to them, follow him and all the dead, and, and allow the dead to bury the dead. Matthew 8.22 says it this way, Jesus said to the man, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. So Jesus is calling for a real commitment to him. And the disciples obeyed. And they got in the boat, and they had absolutely no clue of the terror that awaited them. They had no idea what was coming. I mean, if, you, if you're honest, me and you are probably in a similar situation as these people. What do you mean? Well, if you're anything like me, the circumstances that are going on in our world right now and in our country look absolutely like nothing I've ever seen before. We're dealing with circumstances that we didn't know were going to happen. And a lot of the fears and the panic that are happening in the world, you can see why people would be afraid. We're shutting down everything. And the government is responding in certain ways that make it look like we are at the end of the world. As we walked into it, it kind of catches you off guard. You're not expecting this. 
Well, that's exactly what happens with the disciples. As they get in the boat, obeying Jesus, and boom, a storm comes. I believe these events are a perfect passage to meditate on in light of what we're experiencing. The one feature of our Lord that seems to be shocking is we find him asleep in the storm. It's important for us to note that if the circumstances begin to get worse around us, and maybe some of us even get the virus, and maybe even some of us die, we need to remind ourselves the sovereign was sleeping, but he was still in control. The sovereign was sleeping, but he was still in control. And in the same way, our sovereign is still in control today. He's in control of all the events we're going through. Today we're going to look at three features of this event that should provoke us to trust the Lord in difficult times. Three features that should provoke us to trust the Lord in difficult times. Let's start with the scary setting. The scary setting. Look at verse 35. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. Just a side note. Where did these other boats, what happened when the storm was happening with them? No idea. I can't wait to figure that one out when I get to heaven. Maybe they turned around and went back when they saw the storm. Verse 37. And there arose a fierce gale of wind. As Matthew says it, there arose a great storm on the sea. And the waves were breaking over the boat. So much that the boat was already... Filling up. Luke says, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. This does appear to be a real life scary situation. Death circumstances. A fierce gale of wind. A great storm on the sea. The waves were breaking over the boat. The boat was literally being filled with water. The boat was being swamped. It was being covered with waves. The people on Jesus' boat were in danger, and the disciples were afraid for their lives. The situation, in some ways, parallels other events in the Bible. It kind of reminded me of Jonah, remember? And the sailors, as they sailed towards Joppa, the prophet who had rebelled gets on a boat and heads towards Joppa to get as far away from God and doing what he said to do, and then God throws a storm on the water, and the people are panicking. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 10 to 13, it says, Then the man became extremely frightened, and they said, How could you do this? Talking to Jonah. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to them, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to the land. But they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. 
We know as we've read this passage that what happened, eventually they, they cry out to God, the sailors, and they plead for forgiveness, and then they chuck him overboard, and the sea becomes calm. What do we see here? Ultimately, the storm, the storm came from God. It also parallels Paul's trip on the ship to Rome. Remember the storm was so bad that everyone feared for their lives? In Acts chapter 27, we see that uh, a little example of this. In Acts 27, 18, it says, The next day as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on all hope of being saved was gradually abandoned. What is this again? Another sovereign storm. The storm that God allowed to come upon those to eventually have Paul make his way to Rome in a way that we wouldn't have picked. These were very scary settings. Death was imminent in all three circumstances. In Jesus and the boat on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples were petrified. By application, it is important to note how this is different from our circumstances. Yes, beloved, we are figuratively being bombarded by waves. But as of now, none of us appears to be just moments away from death. Personally, I'm not sure if the virus will be worse than the treatment for the virus. Whether our economy is going to, to collapse and there's going to be death for other reasons. Either way, however, whether it's the wave of an economic collapse or the wave of a pandemic, we must trust the sovereign. These waves are ultimately from our Lord. The pandemic is under God's sovereign control, just like the storm clouds that, the, that Jesus and the disciples faced. However, it is scary. As the disciples were in the boat, they were afraid. And it can be scary for us. And there is a sense where we recognize that it can be a little bit frightening. But these events in Mark 4 give us a good test case for how we should not respond when we face waves, but also how we should respond in light of our present circumstances. I do believe we all need to be careful in our present circumstances to avoid allowing the world's information of, uh, towards us to dictate how we should respond to our present setting. In other words, don't let the world tell you how you should respond to the pandemic. Don't let the world tell you how you should respond to economic collapse. Let the Word of God inform that. Let Scripture inform that. I think much of our world wants us to think that we are in the middle of the Sea of Galilee with waves crashing over top of us and we're all going to die. The world is constantly telling us this. We're all going to be broke and unable to find food. 
Go stock up on toilet paper, hand sanitizer, and buy an extra gun because somebody's going to come banging on your door. By the way, it is across the board in our world right now. Everyone is frightened. Many are being driven by their emotions. And they are motivating others with their emotions. They are playing on each other's emotions. Everywhere you look, everybody is cooperating together in fear and emotion. But beloved, remember, we are not seconds from death. And even if we were seconds from death, that would be a great thing. Because then we would be with the Lord. We must trust the Lord, the Sovereign. These followers all appeared to be moments away from death in our story and in our events. Notice that it is what, that is what the disciples told Jesus. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? As we will see, even their response was not a wise assessment of their circumstances. Beloved, come with me further into this passage and see how we shouldn't respond and how we should respond to crisis. The first feature is the scary setting. The second feature is the sleeping sovereign. Look at our passage in verse 38. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Luke says that as they were sailing along, he had fallen asleep. And they woke Jesus, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Luke's account says that some of the disciples said, Master, Master, we are perishing. And Matthew's account says that some of the people, or some of the disciples, said, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Three different words, or three different responses. How do we coincide those? Well, you got a group of roughly 12 men, and they're all screaming out, out of fear and emotions. Many of them are cooperating together and, and saying the same thing, and that's why he can say, they said. And yet, there's different groups and different pockets and different things that are going on. There's mixed emotions and mixed motives that are going on inside the hearts of the disciples as the waves crash in and Jesus is asleep. There's a, rev- there's a wonderful revelation of our Savior and our Lord here. I want you to get it as we walk down through it. He's revealed as both God and man in these events. We can know Jesus was 100% human because he was asleep. He was sleeping. He had been busy that entire day. He had taught many that whole day. And the human body, his human body, was exhausted. So he went to sleep. Listen, friends, as I mentioned when we went through Matthew's account, Jesus' command to go to the other side meant Jesus knew they would make it to the other side. Jesus had work to do there that the Father ordained. So Jesus rested his weary body with the intention of being rested and ready for the other side and the legion of demons. Remember, Jesus only heals one man and then leaves the area. Fascinating truth. 
Behind this trip across the lake, Jesus was tired. Jesus was going to a pagan land to rescue one man. Jesus fell asleep on a cushion in the back of the boat. There was an ancient boat, by the way, and there's a picture of it on my blog page, this boat. You can look it up where my sermon notes are, by the way. I should have told you that at the beginning. But on our blog page, and you can see it, uh, a link on it, our website that has the sermon notes for today. There was an ancient boat that was found around the Sea of Galilee in the last 30 years. It is dated from around 100 B.C. to 40 A.D. There's a picture on the blog. You can see it. It gives you an idea of the size of the boat. As a matter of fact, Stephen's in the picture, and he's in the back of the taking a picture of the boat. You can see about how big it was. It's not an extremely large boat, but it's a good idea of what it might have been like. Now, at first appearance, if you were one of the disciples and you were on one of these boats, one of these small boats taken on water, death seemed imminent, what would you have thought? What would you have thought of Jesus? How, <coughs> how in the world can you be sleeping through this? Might have came to our minds, right? He's asleep. So obviously, he doesn't know what's happening in our minds, or that's how we might think. The variation of responses from the three Gospels show the mixed motives and the mixed emotions that are going on inside the boat. In Mark's account, the disciples woke Jesus up and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, there's a hint of sarcasm in these words. Do you not care that we are perishing? Are you not concerned that we are dying? A little background on this gospel account, by the way. Mark was most likely highly influenced by Peter in this gospel account. So Peter is most likely, again, being completely transparent in his own doubt in that moment. Peter and others thought death was inevitable. And he jabs Jesus verbally in the process. Do you not care that we're perishing? Teacher, you can see this in Peter's response. We've seen this in Matthew, haven't we? As we've gone through, we've seen Peter sometimes sticks his foot in his mouth. Here, most likely, Peter's influence is seen in this, these words. But in Luke's account, there's others in the boat that are saying this. Master, Master, we are perishing. This time, there's an acknowledgement of Jesus' status as Master. And they shared their desperate condition. Acknowledging Jesus' status as their master, implying they were his slaves. Yet there's still a sense where they assume Jesus didn't know what was happening while he slept. Master, we are perishing. Waking him up, Master, we are perishing. Did Jesus know that the waves were happening while he was sleeping? Great question. We'll get to that in a second. Then we get to Matthew's account, and it says, The disciples said, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. This account shows there was an awareness that Jesus was Lord. So at least some in the boat had this idea that they needed to seek Jesus, the Lord, and ask Him to save them. Very interesting. It appears that some on the boat of, of the twelve did have a right perspective to a degree 
of what Jesus could do. But again, the statement, we are perishing, is consistent with all three accounts. The idea was that the disciples didn't think Jesus knew they were dying and needed to be aroused to know their desperate situation. The sovereign is sleeping. Wake him up. We're dying. All of these responses reveal a lack of faith as we see by Jesus' response to them. The disciples knew Jesus was the Messiah, but they didn't fully get He was the God-man. They couldn't fully comprehend all that this meant, God incarnate. He could do miracles, yes, but knowing everything, being in sovereign control over everything always, nope, that wasn't in His nature too, was it? However, this couldn't be further from the truth. The sovereign was sleeping, but he was still always in control, even in the storm. He was sleeping, but he was still in control while he was sleeping. Now, I admit, this is an antinomy. Two truths that we have a hard time reconciling. How can he be asleep, be a human, and yet also be completely in control of all the events that are happening around them? Answer, he's God and man, and he can do it. They seem to be contradictions, but they're not. Because Jesus is man, and Jesus is God. Jesus sleeps, and Jesus is in control. And he was working with the Father in an amazing way as his human body slept. The sovereign was sleeping, but he was in fully con- full control of the storm also. So, friends, how would you have responded if you were in the boat? I think, I'm pretty sure, I would have woke him and said something a little snarky like Peter and some of the others. Teacher, do you not care that we're dying? The fact is, I could probably, I probably could have said any of the statements at any given moment. As a matter of fact, I can relate with all the statements. At some points over the last two weeks, I've said, Lord, save us. At other times, I've said, Master, Master, why are these things happening? And at other times, it's, Lord, don't you want our church to meet? See, the problem is, is our hearts are mixed up messy, and they have all kinds of things going through us. And you say, well, Pastor Mike, I'm not having that problem. I just think people are foolish. And the whole world's going to fall apart because people are foolish. Well, again, that can be another response of the same thing. Because even people's panic is under God's sovereign control. Even if the whole world collapses on itself and all of the government officials make wrong mistakes, God is still in control. He's still sovereign over it, He's not sleeping. In his deity. In fact, I think I probably have said a form of all these in my mind over the last month. But what's the problem? Often when I'm asking these questions and I'm thinking these thoughts, the problem is faith. The problem is faith. I believe, but I still have doubts. 
But I have to kill those doubts and I have to trust the Lord. And you have to trust the Lord. All of us have to trust the Lord. God is in control. He is faithful. He loves us. And even if we die, or even if the rapture were to happen right now, we would be with Him forever. Praise the Lord. I have seen many of these responses over the last week. Somehow, when crisis arises in our life, everything around us becomes bigger than the Lord. We know He rules, but for some reason, those things become more important. And we begin to look for wisdom, quote-unquote, in places that we shouldn't be looking for wisdom. Where is wisdom found? Ultimately, wisdom is found in the Lord. A fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes, we can get counsel from outside, but the primary place for wisdom is found in God. Because the world doesn't have God. They do not fear God, so their wisdom will be tainted at best. We often think that we need doctors to deliver us. We need politicians to deliver us. We think the economy is going to be destroyed by all this panic, so we need some kind of bailout. We are constantly agitated or worried over the world and its chaos. And we can even think we deserve God to rescue us and to save our country. There are people out there that think that we are going to survive because we're America. Oh, beloved, we are only going to survive, the country will only survive, if God, in His amazing grace, decides to allow us to survive. And if he doesn't, he will still build his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We must trust him, whether there's America or not, whether there's one world government or not. Listen, I'm not saying go to the one world government, but I am saying this. Christ Jesus is still sovereign and we must trust him. Ultimately, we must not allow our emotions to control our thoughts. Our circumstances must not be what control us. And so for all intent and purposes, we are saying, when we ask these questions like the disciples, is the Lord asleep? Does he even get it? I think I need to inform him of this horrific situation. All of these are the same doubts the disciples had. And yet, we're not on the brink of death. We're not, it's not, probably it's not imminent within the next couple seconds, but yet the same panic is happening. In the disciples' case, they actually were only minutes from death. We aren't, probably. But even if we were, we need to learn from the disciples' mistakes. The sovereign was asleep, but he was still reigning with the Father. If Jesus was sleeping, that was a huge hint to the disciples. <laughs> We're going to be okay. Jesus is asleep. That means what? How do you interpret that? We're going to be okay. He said, let's go to the other side. He's sleeping. He's asleep. So, he isn't concerned. <laughs> He's not worried. He's also Lord while he sleeps. The sovereign's sleeping, so we're secure. So they should have curled up next to him. 
or pulled up a bait bucket and sat and watched him. This is the best boat ride? They should have thought this. I was thinking on this earlier. This is the best boat ride I've ever been on. And Jesus is driving the boat with his eyes closed. Friends, the coronavirus is no different. The waves are slamming against the boat. We have, we have everybody in the world telling us everything's falling in around us and the world is collapsing and everything's in chaos. But we have nothing to fear. Because listen, this doesn't mean we will not die. It does not mean that. Some of us could die. This could be the time that God has ordained for us to die. But friends, we do not fear. Because Christ Jesus has come into the world, died for sin, rose from the dead, and gives us hope. And one day we are going to be with Him. And we are going to enjoy Him forever. Finally, let's look at this last feature. And watch how Jesus corrects them. We see the stunned students. The stunned students. Before Jesus calms the storm, by the way, it appears as he's awakened, he gently begins to rebuke his students ahead of time. Matthew's account says that he begins to say to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith, even before he rebukes the winds? But he continues that same narrative, that same exhortation, that same rebuke after, as we see in Mark's account. So he starts it before, as he gets up, you can kind of see him getting up and saying, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And he goes to the side of the boat and he says, Hush, be still. In Mark's account, it just picks up there. And then by the time he finishes calming the storm, he continues that rebuke. Verse 39, Mark says, And he got up and rebuked the winds and said to the sea, Hush, be still or be quiet. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? Luke's account says that he said to them, Where is your faith? They became very much afraid, verse 41, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? Friends, it's clear. Jesus demonstrated he was in complete control of nature. Jesus speaks to the winds and the waves, saying, Hush! Be quiet. Shh. Be silent. And the winds died down. And the waves subsided. And the storm was gone in a matter of seconds. Jesus gets up and reveals his complete control over nature. But he also exposes the disciples' unbelief. Their fear caused unbelief. They loudly let their circumstances control their speech. They were afraid. And again, their circumstances were much more dire than ours in our present day. Again, circumstances must not control our emotions. What happens to us on the outside and in this world must not be what controls our thoughts. 
and emotions. We spend way too much time analyzing the circumstances. Beloved, listen to me. We need to get outside and work in our yards. We need to spend extra time in the Word. We must reach out to one another with phones and texts and FaceTimes and Zoom. We must proclaim Christ to our neighbors. We must pray more. We must seek to know Christ more. We need to pull up our bait bucket and watch the Sovereign Lord walk us through this storm. If we all were with the disciples on the boat, we would all be on our phones watching the weather channel and analyzing the wind speed, seeking to know the clearest spot on the radar to row to. And when we realize we can't avoid this, we would cry out just like the disciples, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? We often use seeking wisdom, by the way, as an excuse to avoid just sitting in the boat and watching the Lord work. Faith is the key to the Christian walk. We are saved by faith. We walk by faith today, tomorrow, and until the Lord returns. We are justified through faith in Christ alone. We are also sanctified through faith in Jesus alone. Faith till glory. <coughs> this reminds me of Pilgrim's Progress. I, I remembered this and, and, and read the last section of Pilgrim's Progress this week, I strongly advise you, hey, we have extra time. Turn off the news, read Pilgrim's Progress. You need to. John Bunyan writes this, and an amazing story, and talks about Christian and his life. And it's basically a testimony of John Bunyan himself, telling how he came to Christ and what the life of a Christian's like. But one of the key scenes is that last scene, one of the last scenes where He's wanting to go into the celestial city, but there's a river that's around the celestial city. This river looks very deep. Some people are drowning in the river, and it looks like there's no way that they can get across the river into the celestial city. And so Christian and Hopeful are there, and they're looking at this, and they're saying, well, how in the world are we going to get across? And somebody says to them, in order for them to cross, and this is the great line right here, you shall find it deeper or shallower as you believe in the king of the place. Let me say it again. You shall find it deeper or shallower as you believe in the king of the place. Now, what's that mean? That means as you go into the river... If you are believing, it's going to be shallow and easy to get into the city. Because you will be fixed on Him, trusting in Him, and you will have nothing to fear. Even death will not be painful. But if you are not believing in Him, you will grow into the water and it will become deeper and deeper and deeper. It's very interesting as you read along... Christian and Hopeful are both going in, and Hopeful's like, man, this is shallow, no problem. And Christian, however, starts to sink. He starts to sink because he starts thinking of, he cannot be a true Christian. There's no way this can be. 
What about all those sins? What about all these things that has happened to him? What about the times that he veered off track and did not follow God as faithfully as he should have? That must mean that he should die in this river. But Hopeful looks over at him and he says, Believe. Trust in the king. The king of the celestial city. And Christian gets a hold of that thought. And he begins to trust again. And as he does, the river becomes shallow again. And he begins to ascend to the celestial city. Oh, what a beautiful picture of what we're going through right now, beloved. Is the water deep or is the water shallow? It's all based on our faith in Him. If we will trust Him, the water will be shallow. There will be no panic. We will know that our sovereign, even if he's sleeping, is still in control. We will know that God is in control and we can trust Him. Oh, friends, please, please, counsel your heart. Trust in the Lord. Don't trust in yourself. In conclusion, the setting for this whole event is one to take note of. Yes, it's scary. At the same time, it becomes even more scary when we think of a sovereign sleeping. But we must understand that if the sovereign is sleeping, then that means he's not worried. He's at peace. He knows. He's still in control. And yes, there were a bunch of scared students, the disciples. But ultimately, they become stunned by what God does and how God works and how God is working through the God-man Jesus and is able to calm the storms of this world. Ultimately, beloved, we see that to be in this boat with all the waves is really a secure situation. It's a secure situation. The God-man was asleep, but he was still reigning. The world seems like it's in chaos. Everything's going crazy, but God is in control. We say that we believe that God is sovereign over everything, over our salvations. It's now time for us to apply it to our lives. We have fought and we have stood so firmly at Grace Bible for this doctrine of God's sovereign salvation. We have stood firm on this doctrine. It is now that we use that doctrine. We depend on that truth. We trust that God is in control. And we know that we have a refuge in the midst of chaos. Turn with me over to Psalm 46 and we'll close. Psalm 46 and we'll close. These words are exactly what we need to hear. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains quake at its 
swelling pride, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts, Yahweh of armies, is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolation in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. The word of God is good. Our sovereign is in control. We can trust him. Whether we die or we live, we know he is reigning. And to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Beloved, we have great hope. Go share this hope with others. For the world panics, but we have a refuge in the Lord. I love you. I look forward to seeing you soon. I'm praying this will end soon for one main reason. I want to be together with you again in fellowship. That we can worship together. I'm praying for you. If you need anything, please, please reach out to me. By the way, a health update on us. We are doing better. Uh, it's been almost 14 days. We only have a little cough, so we're doing okay. Who knows, maybe we're now immune to all this garbage. Either way, it's our opportunity now to serve and to serve even more. We want to open up our house. If it, Once this goes away, you're welcome to come in. We're cleaning it first. Don't worry. We love you. We thank, you for, we thank the Lord for you. And we thank you for serving one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we are thankful children of you. We're thankful that you are our hiding place, our refuge, our tower. We trust you, Lord. We thank you that you are walking us through this and that our sovereign is in control. Lord, I pray that if there's people that are watching this that don't have that hope and don't have that peace and fear is pounding against them, I pray, Lord, that you will grant them repentance, that they will turn from fear to trust you, and that they will see that you are the God who calms all storms. And whether this world implodes and nations go away, you will reign forever. May they turn to you and find forgiveness in Christ Jesus our Lord who died and rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand and will return one day. 
We love you, Lord. We praise you, Father, for what you are doing. We ask that you be honored in all that we say and do over this next week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.